And so we are on that last section here, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. What are we talking about with these? Uh, hopefully it's going to be a little bit of a review, but let's go ahead and turn to John, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And let me have someone read that for us. That's all right. That's all right. So, I've heard that if you know the place where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. So, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you, and then the verse 4, and you know the way where I'm going. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so he's trying to get them to see something in a time where they're going to be discouraged because he is about to be taken from them. In fact, that night he's going to be taken from them. This is part of the upper, or the start of the upper room discourse. Uh, verses or chapters 14, 15, and 16 are all part of the upper room discourse. And then after they sing a hymn, they go out to the Mount of Olives, and that's where he's captured up there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, so he wants these words to be part of a comfort to them. Just as he's going to be taken away from them, uh, well, we don't see our Lord in the flesh. And so we also have times where we need that comfort, especially considering the darkness, the times of darkness that we are in. Now, as we back up from this, of course, we are studying this in context of studying the Apostles' Creed. And as I said, this is the 12th lesson, so it's been 12 weeks that we've been in this. It's actually surprising to me that it's already been that long because it hasn't felt like that long. It seems like we've just shot right through this study, but it has been 12 weeks. And it's a shame that the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, isn't typically taught in evangelical churches today. Um, it is still present in mainline denominations. Um, these would be typically the more liturgical churches that will have these kinds of recitations, uh, these kinds of aspects of their liturgy uh, affixed to them. And there is something to that because a lot of the mainline churches have gone more 
meaning that they have uh, become less assured of the miracles of Scripture, the truth of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, and the lessons of Scripture have been just boiled down to just moral lessons uh, rather than theological truths for us to know and embrace. But at the same time, because the Apostles' Creed is still part of their liturgy, they are still getting a gospel witness within those churches. And so that's uh, one of the safeguards that are actually designed into their services. And that's, that's a good thing. It's ironic that evangelical churches, which have, for the most part, ditched liturgy, actually also have less gospel preaching within them. Uh, the pastors might uh, have some kind of um, some kind of a moral lesson that probably isn't too dissimilar to what the homilies of the mainline denominations would feature, although the pastor might be wearing a, uh, a cool t-shirt, graphic tee with, you know, skinny jeans and, you know, an expensive pair of tennis shoes, excuse me, and um, he might be doing so in context of some kind of rock concert that that has, you know, I don't know, rock and roll covers going on that may or may not be related to the gospel. And it's interesting because these churches have dumbed down the Christian religion into something that's fun and motivational, but not something that is of, of substance. And so they've gotten rid of the Apostles' Creed while also getting rid of a lot of other things which would define them as evangelical as preaching the gospel. And so it's interesting to see that. Um, we we want to be churches that uh, that preach the gospel. Of course, some of these some of these places they might have this kind of pray after me moment or pray this with me moment. Uh, if you want to know Jesus, just pray this little prayer. And they might say something like that, but that's about the most gospel preaching you get in some situations. I want you to remember that the gospel is not just for unbelievers. It's for Christians, too. Right. I was just reminding someone of this on Sunday. Someone came up to me with this very issue. We are going to be beaten down by this world. We're going to be beaten down with our own personal doubts. We're going to be beaten down by Satan. We're going to be beaten down by uh, the influences of the world around us, including social media and standard media, legacy media, all these things are going to evoke all kinds of questions in our minds, doubts in our minds, and we start to wonder, am I really saved? Am I really saved? And we need that gospel message just like the lost world needs that gospel message as an assurance to us, as something that's going to build up our hope. And I would argue that the Apostles' Creed is one way in which we can do that. And so uh, I'm glad to have been able to pr present this to the church. I hope that people are being blessed by it, people in here as well as people who may be watching this later in the downloads. There's also something else we're seeing lessening within churches. Now, this would be a church that would have gospel preaching and a church that might have theology, we see eschatology waning. Now, this is just as important. What is eschatology? 
Well, eschatology here is the study, you see the ology part, uh, of the eschaton, that's a Greek word that means end, end things, end times. It's a study of the end times. Uh, so what's going to happen in the end times? And the Apostles' Creed does address that. It does address that. And that's part of what Christians should know. What's going to happen in the end times? When you ask, am I really saved? You're wondering, am I going to be able to trust that when I close my eyes that final time, I'm going to see my Savior with a smile on his face rather than a frown, right? I want to make sure that it's okay in my end time. And that's part of this. That's part of this. Well, when we're talking about eschatology, of course, the main point, or the main points, is to know that people can live beyond this life. We can live beyond this life, of Amen. course. And we can live with Christ. We can live with Christ. Amen. And that's the main thing to walk away with. You might have all kinds of questions as far as uh, the rapture of the church, the the, the tribulation period, who's the Antichrist, all of these things. But you, this is the most basic question to get down. I'm going to live forever. Where am I going to live? And how can I know that I'm going to live with Jesus? And so this is all part of it. We, we want to understand what it means. So when we get to the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in, and then we get to the resurrection of the body, and... The life everlasting. Amen. So what are those? The resurrection of the body and eternal life. Eternal life. Well, let's consider first the resurrection of the body. And we understand, or should understand by this point, that sin destroys the body. And we could talk about personal sins, for instance. Um, I just saw a funny meme on, on the internet. It was a big bottle of Jameson Irish whiskey and it had a little word bu bubble right next to it and said you should go fight that cop <laughs> um, <laughs> we understand that personal sins can be injurious to our bodies <laughs> they can yeah exactly uh, addictions can do that you know it can destroy our organs destroy our our bodies our our metabolism everything um, all, all of this the riotous living that comes with some of this stuff can can speed along the day of our death and that's not even to say anything about some of the things that people some of the crimes that people get involved in and some of the ways that those can go wrong of course the sins of others can do the same well, we could think about the crucifixion of Christ, for instance. And, of course, Christ allowed that crucifixion to take place. But, of course, it was a sin to put Jesus on a cross. Even though that's, God chose to work in that way, what the people did was wrong. The Jews charged him falsely and turned him over to the Romans. Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Did that save Jesus from the cross? No, it did not. Um, they still end up putting them on the cross. That was sinful. That's the sins of others. The sins of others can affect us, and it can uh, destroy the body, of course. 
Uh, we can talk about traffic accidents, someone getting drunk, driving. We get into a traffic accident as a result of someone else's negligence and, and sinful actions. Of course, yes, that is, that is all um, outside of our control, but it is the fault of someone else. And so personal sins, the sins of others, can destroy the body. And original sin, original sin, which can subject the creation to futility. Uh, let me have someone read Romans 8, 20 and 21 there. So Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about the man who is born blind that Jesus encounters from John 9. And it's not he who sinned or his parents who sinned, right? Uh, these things are allowed to, so that God would be glorified. But where does blindness come from? Well, it could be related to sin, sure. But it could also just be related to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And sin has subjected this creation to futility. That's why our bodies mess up. That's why we suffer. And that's, that's just all part and parcel with what we have going on. And so there is damage being done to our bodies even in this very moment uh, because of uh, the way that sin has subjected the creation. The rays of the sun are including radiation particles. Uh, the, the rays of the sun radiates radiation, I guess, and it is coming not just on and striking the ground outside, but it's also coming through the roof of this building, leaving microscopic holes in the roof of this building, uh, and it is shooting down into our bodies, leaving microscopic holes in each of your bodies, uh, I guess mine too, and um, that is cumulative. That is something that just doesn't get healed up. And over, over the course of time, our skin begins to wrinkle more and more, and uh, our bodies begin to show that wear and tear more and more. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And so that's all part of the creation being subjected to futility. Of course, the good news is that there's a coming resurrection of the body where our bodies will be resurrected. And scripture promises this. This is part of the reason why Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now it was, uh, again, just a short time before this that Jesus comforted and challenged a grieving Martha with the thought that her brother would rise again. Go ahead and turn to John 11. John 11. Of course, John 11 comes right before John 14 in the Bible, just a couple chapters before that. So, there we go. John 11. And Jesus asks her, 
Do you believe that your brother will rise again? Uh, someone read verse 24. Carly. Thank you. Okay, so there was a belief that there was a coming resurrection of the body. And so she expresses this belief. There was an understanding of this eschatological event, this end-time event. But she didn't know what Jesus might have meant with this question. Because the next verse says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He wants her to believe that he is the resurrection and life. He's the reason her brother will one day be raised. And he proves it by raising him in that moment. And so Lazarus there, her brother, is raised. And that's in John 11. He proves that he is the resurrection of the and the life. And in him we can have confidence that there is coming a resurrection of the body. Jesus says to his disciples now in John 14, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, that's, that is an audacious claim because he is elevating himself to the level of God. You, he would, yes, exactly. Exactly. And so he is, he is pushing them at this point. They've had somewhat around three years of experience with him, some of them a little less, some of them a little bit more, but they've seen enough to know that he is someone for them to place their faith and trust in. And this is what he calls us to as well as we, as we read the text, as we read about him. He is the resurrection and the life. He can raise the dead. And so we should put our own faith and trust in him that he can raise us as well one day. Good. Just like we, uh, well, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, there is a question, though. Okay, so one day, Lord, one day I will be raised. But what about now? What if I die tomorrow and you tarry for another hundred years? Well, right now we believe that there is an intermediate state, an intermediate state. This is where the soul is separate from the body. And we do believe this because Jesus, or the apostle of Jesus, Paul, said to be separate from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so there is a temporary body that people are given until that day when their bodies will be raised. And we will meet them in the air, as it were. And so this is an intermediate state. But that doesn't mean that there isn't coming a literal resurrection of the body. Just like Lazarus was raised from the grave, just like Jesus literally came from the grave, so too our bodies will be raised from the grave. 
This is what people have believed uh, all through history. We can consider this with Job. Job probably is the oldest book of the Bible. If we're thinking of Bible books by chronology, of course, Genesis goes all the way back to the beginning, but it was written by Moses. And so Job's probably written before Moses, probably around Abraham's time. So Job's the oldest book there. Uh, someone read for us Job 19, verses 25 through 27. Oh, I'm sorry. I have it on the screen. I'll just go ahead and read it. Job 19. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bible, though, because this is worth highlighting or underlining if you make markings in your Bible. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. That, that, that's a good place to just pause and think about that. How did Job know that his Redeemer lives? This is way before Jesus uh, came, right? This is way before the incarnation. This is way before all the prophets revealed uh, just how the Messiah would come. And yet Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. It just shows us how much understanding they had even back in the earliest days of, of human history. And at last, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. So he understood that not only that the Redeemer would come, that he would come and take a stand upon the earth. Even after, now watch this, even after my skin is destroyed. Now why might his skin be destroyed? Death, death yeah, just simple death and decay. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. Now wait a minute, just think about that. His skin's going to get destroyed, and yet from his flesh, not his spirit, not his soul, from his flesh he will see God. Wait, his skin's destroyed. How will he see God from his flesh? Do you see the tension there? He said, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. So, see, he, he knows that he is going to see with his eyes. He knows with his eyes he will see the Savior, the Redeemer, after his flesh is destroyed. See, he knew that there was coming a resurrection of the body. And as he thought, thinks on these things, he says, my heart faints within me. <laughs> and indeed, you know, to think about these things. Oh, we, we want the Lord to come quickly, Maranatha. We want to experience these things. We want to see what this is like. See, he believed it, and we should believe it as well. We know that even after the decay of our bodies in the grave, that we will experience something. Uh, now, let me have someone read for real this time. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 and 54. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 and 54. For the for this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must sorry, and this mortal body must be put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is full. 
Excellent. Excellent. So one day this body will be destroyed, but yes, it will also be reconstructed in health and in immortality, in incorruptibility, which, mean, which I like that translation, incorruptibility, because that means that not only will the body not perish anymore, but it won't be able to be corrupted to the point of needing to perish again. It's non-perishable now. And so there, there's this, this idea where we don't have to fear the grave. The, the body is going to be reconstructed. And, you know, as we consider these things, this is why typically, historically, Christians have buried their dead. I get asked all the time, do you think it's a sin to, to cremate? Do you think it's a sin to do a burial at sea? Etc. Etc. And I don't think it's a sin. The Bible doesn't call any of that a sin. But if you want to ask my opinion as to why Christians have typically made graveyards and put the dead bodies in there, and I know there's all kinds of Halloweeny uh, kind of spooky stuff with graveyards. But why do Christians create graveyards? Not so that there's all these ghosts and ghouls hanging around, because we don't really believe that that's the case. We believe that the spirits are gone, but the graves there speak of a, I think I heard someone describe it this way, they speak of a seedbed, a seedbed that will be raised up to new life one day. And so there's a testimony there to the world. We don't burn our bodies typically in, in the Christian faith because uh the pagans did that, and the pagans did that to testify to the fact that the body is just a husk, it's an empty shell, and it's now useless. It will never be used again. No, our bodies will be used again. Now, can God raise from the ashes a body? Yes, I, I sure hope so, because there have been bodies laying in graves for thousands of years, and those bodies are no longer constructed of anything, right? That Those are just ashes uh, or dust. But he can reconstruct from that. He can reconstruct from the sea. He can reconstruct from all of that. And the Bible describes all of that, that he will uh, raise to new life. So we don't want to make a law here where there is no law in Scripture. Uh, if, a, if a Christian dies in a house fire, God can raise up that body just as easily as he can raise up a body that's been placed in a grave. And this is what is going to happen. And when that happens, we will be raised imperishable, incorruptible. And there will be a transformation that takes place. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it is not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We will see him just as he is. He obtained a certain kind of body after the resurrection. A real body, a real body that could be touched. Remember Doubting Thomas? He says, come and place your finger in the holes. Now, I don't think that our, our bodies are going to bear scars like that. That's, that is the one difference. His, his body is going to continue to bear those scars as a constant reminder to those of us who have died of his work on our behalf. It's not like if you get 
you know, shot or something, you're going to continue to carry around a bullet wound throughout all of eternity. That's, that, that's not what we're expecting to see. But he did have a body that could be touched, and that's the point. Not only could it be touched, you might remember that he sat down on the seashore with them and he ate. He cooked fish and he ate. Can we go fishing with our resurrected bodies? Yes, yes we can. And can we eat with our resurrected bodies? Yes, yes we can. By the way, I think that speaks of the fact that our resurrected bodies are going to be doing something more than just floating around in heaven, kind of in this ethereal experience. If our bodies can do things, then I suspect that means we're gonna be doing things. <laughs> right? And we'll, we can talk more about that. Well, but, we're not, mm -hmm. we've never been created to just be idle. <laughs> right. Be lazy, even in the garden, now and have a task. Exactly. Imperfection. Yeah, I, I, you know, when the Lord creates the new heavens and the new earth, I don't see any reason why there aren't going to be gardens there to be kept and uh, fields to be tilled. But it won't be by the sweat of our brow anymore. It won't be fighting thorns and thistles. It will be something that's enjoyable, something that we are going to be blessed by doing, and we can bless others by our doing. It's going to be something that's going to be completely unencumbered by sin. We won't grow tired, we won't grow weary, but we will have things to do. We will have things to do and things to enjoy. And we will have a body like his. Now, with that said, uh, th that does bring us to the next question. Okay, if that's the resurrection of the body, what's eternal life? Is that the resurrection of the body? Well, no, that's not the resurrection of the body per se, but it is part of it. Those with eternal life will have their bodies resurrected to life. But eternal life is something that begins even now, and we're going to talk about that as, as we move through this final section here. But the one thing I want to note, you know, as, just along those lines of what we were just talking about, heaven is a place of worship, but it's not a never-ending church service. What's that? Oh, yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> E.G. There are dwelling places, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> that, that just means for example um, but yeah yeah, there are dwelling places uh, that means that we will at least have somewhere to go you know will there be worship services I have no doubt about that and I can't wait to see what kinds of worship services there are but I, I do have doubt that it's going to be a never ending worship service because as I said we're, we see different things happening we do see people uh, as we get to Revelation 20, 21, 22, especially there, we see that there's going to be food. We see that there's going to be water. There's going to be different things for us to see and to enjoy there. Well, in Jewish dwelling places, it implies rest, too. Exactly. Rest. Rest is definitely a gift and blessing from God. <laughs> exactly. Like he said rest on the seventh day. And for any of us that get very little sleep or <laughs> work yeah. a lot. Exactly. We appreciate that. <laughs> exactly. So what is eternal life? Basically, if we were to encapsulate it, it's life in his presence. 
the life of the eternal God, life in the presence, I should say, of the eternal God. John 17, 3, we read John 14, John 17, 3. Well, you know the unfaithful have an eternal life too. They will. They will be in torment and their body will be a new body too, but it will be one that can feel pain. You know, you're taking away my points. <laughs> I was going to talk about that in a few Teaching minutes. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, brother. You're absolutely right. But let's think about the eternal life that we're going to enjoy as believers. Someone read that one for us. John 17, 3. John 17, 3. Exactly. So this is interesting. He says this is eternal life. And then he talks about knowledge of God. Knowledge of God. And so eternal life is something more, something that's not just talking about uh, a substance, but a quality as well. It, it's where we're actually going to be enjoying the presence of God. We're going to know God. And so let's think about this. Now, the first point here we've already talked about, we will get a new body. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 and 3 says this, For indeed, in this house we groan. And that could be translated a couple different ways, like a tent or something like that, a temporary dwelling. In this house we groan, longing to be clothed, with our dwelling from heaven. And that's a permanent dwelling. Insomuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. <laughs> we don't want to be before the presence of God naked. We want to have this eternal dwelling. And Romans 8.23 says something similar. And we, or excuse me, not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for, the, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now the truth is that if we are Christians, we are already adopted as sons and daughters of the King. But there is coming a time when we will see that happen. And that's with the redemption of the body. And so we will experience this, this moment where our bodies will be transformed and we get that new body. Again, it's a real body and it is a body like unto Christ's resurrected body. One that can be touched, one that can uh, eat and that can be there. Um, that's going to be very much like that. We also get other blessings. Let me have someone read 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2 Exactly. Exactly. There, there is. There, there is still 
So much for us to see. <laughs> so much for us to even imagine. Where's that song, I Can Only Imagine? That oh, yeah. was so popular back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. You could only imagine what it's going to be like. Because eye has not seen, ear has not heard. What God has prepared for those who love him. But we, there are going to be experiences for us that we don't even know. Uh, we don't believe that it's going to be um, ethereal, like like wispy, like, you know, just like we're kind of floating in clouds. Maybe we're going to be, you know, kind of combining our consciences, you know, in some kind of like cosmic experience that's, that's, that's Hinduism, that's not Christianity. You know, we're going to retain our individuality. We're going to be able to recognize each other in heaven. We're going to be able to recognize the Lord, but it's also going to be different. It's also going to be uh, very different. And as I said, Scripture describes food. Um, uh, there's going to be concrete effects there, uh, especially in new heavens and new earth that we're going to see. Trees, rivers, structures with the with the uh, New Jerusalem. We read of of walls and, and dwelling places. Uh, we read of different stones and precious metals that that comprise the city uh, river that goes out. I mean, there are some who try to allegorize all of that, and I guess we could see some allegorical. Um, or some metaphorical connections to the Lord and what he's doing. But I do think that that's also describing a literal reality. Just like I think when the, when the Bible described the Garden of Eden, it was describing a real place. You know, you might say, well, the four rivers represent this as it goes out. But, you know, the truth is there were four rivers that went out. And <laughs> it was a real place with a real garden that Adam and Eve tended. And so, you know, we, we, it doesn't do us any good to try to allegorize all the meaning away. There, it might picture something, sure. It might picture the work of Christ. And I think it does. But it also is a real place. And I think it pictures the work of Christ so that as we're there, we can be thinking about these things. And, we, and you know, it can be back on our minds. Yeah. Um, the Lord's going to give us new bodies, going to give us other blessings to experience. And, of course, we will experience God's presence. Um, we'll spend a great deal of time with the Lord there. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't been up there. Um, it almost has to be, because it wouldn't be like a one-on-one, -on because -one, there's going to be billions of people up there. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we even read that there won't be a sun, there there won't be night, because the the Lord provides the lamp, and we we don't need to we don't need that anymore. His glory is going to be all around. Yeah, exactly. So we we'll we'll get to see all of that. First Peter one eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's today. That's today because of the eternal life that's already been put in us. 
uh, we have that <laughs> we, we, we have that moment right there I don't know why it keeps doing that it turns off every once in a while and turns back on but anyway in, in, in heaven the cameras work perfectly <laughs> and we don't even really need them but there it is <laughs> uh, we look forward to that day we, and we don't need to fear his presence. And this is something, as, we, as we're winding down and thinking about these things, we don't need to fear his presence. Because this is something that is on the minds of a lot of Christians, I think. When I close my eyes for the final time, will I open them in glory or in hell? And we need to be assured of that. We need to know that we are going to heaven. We, we need to know that we can go to heaven and we're not going to mess it up somehow and then get cast from heaven into hell. I used to worry about that. Well, maybe God can get me up to heaven, but I, I'm, I'm kind of goofy and I do things that, that's kind of stupid sometimes. You know, what if they kick me out? Yeah, I think some people worry about that too. Maybe I'm the only weirdo who thinks like that, but um, I think other people worry about things like that. And I, I know that actually because I've talked to some people who worry about things like that. You know, that's the best blessing there is, knowing that you'll have a mind of Christ and a perfect body and you won't be able to sin no more. Exactly. stupid things that you do. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah, we're, we're going to have a new, uh, a new body without all of those sinful inclinations and, and desires. Uh, we also have to think of it like this, and this is you know, part, of, part of what we've been talking about over the course of this. God does require complete righteousness and obedience to be in his presence, and that's true. Absolute righteousness, absolute obedience— not 99%, not the pharisaical obedience. Your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. It has to be 100% all the time. Well, I'm not 100% all the time. I'm probably not even close to that all the time. And then sometimes it's probably really low. And so what, what hope do I have? Well, I have hope in Christ. Jesus fulfilled all of that for us. He lived that perfect life, meaning that we don't have to fear rejection. He lived that righteousness for us, and we are now in Christ. And he is going to be there as that constant reminder. Remember what I said, he's going to bear the scars. The only thing man made in heaven are going to be the scars in Jesus' hands and side. I mean, that, that's, that's it right there. And that's going to be a reminder to us that he's keeping us there. Every moment that we're in heaven, he's keeping us there. And yes, the new bodies we're given are going to be free of the original sin. And so now he's given us something else to ensure that we are going to remain there and we're going to be perfect as we are there. So none of us... None of us have, have achieved this on our own. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet Jesus Christ lived that perfect life of submission. And then he died that death of a spotless lamb to cover our sins. And because he died in our place and we are in him, he's our substitute. And he, his righteousness is transferred to us. 
We're going to get there, and, we're, and, and the Lord's going to see our righteousness as the righteousness of Christ. And he's going to keep us there. He's going to keep us there because Christ is always going to be there on our side. We have to believe this, and that does require faith. And let me, let me have, and yeah, let's go ahead and do this. Let me have someone read Habakkuk. Ooh, there's a challenge. Can you find Habakkuk? Oh, I can tell him. <laughs> Habakkuk 2-4. And then, since you like the challenge, I'm going to give that to you. Let me have someone else take Romans 1.17 who wants to read that one. I'll take Hebrews. Okay. You'll take Hebrews 10.38. And then who wants Galatians 3.11? I'll take it. All right. Galatians 3.11. Excellent. All right. So Habakkuk 2.4. Excellent. Excellent. Romans 117. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Excellent. Galatians 311. Excellent. Hebrews 10.38 For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Excellent. Excellent. Um, that's not quite what I expected with that one. That's all right. That's all right. Now, we, at least with that one, you're seeing that we are uh, getting this endurance from God. All the rest of them are repetitions. I suspect I just put the wrong verse down for that last one. I'll have to go back and double check that one. 1038 Hebrews? Ten, yes. And it says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. There it is. There it is. So, Hebrews 1038. Well, that's the one I just read. It didn't say that. Hmm. Well, we can check into that in a few minutes. <laughs> but yes, what's the common theme that we're seeing there? That the just live by faith. They live by faith. Mm -hmm. They live by faith. And so the importance of faith is essential. It is paramount. It is the one thing that we are called to. To have something repeated four times in the Bible. The just shall live by faith. It's not by the works of law. It's not by striving. It's not by doing. It's by faith. It's by faith. And so this is a vital truth for us to remember. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Titus 3, 7 says this. We are justified by his grace so that we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
And so this, it is by faith, that it is by God's grace that we are justified. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by faith. It's by grace. It's not by works. Of course, you guys already know this, but it's important for us to see it is by faith, especially as, as we are struggling with any doubts that there may be. We have to remind ourselves that it is by faith that we have this peace of God. Ah. My eyes, I think it looks like an eight. It, it looks like an eight, yeah. <laughs> I, I can see that. But I can see now down in 38 where it's about faith, yeah. My, my eyes get blurry. Sometimes I have to take my contacts out. I understand <laughs> how that goes. Sometimes those numbers kind of squish together like that. Sixes and eights. Yeah, yeah. But thankfully in the resurrection you will not have that problem anymore. So, th th this, is, this is something to believe. The peace that we have with God is through Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a settled event. It's already done. Now, there's a lot that I've omitted from this topic. Uh, we just wouldn't have time to talk about everything. But th what we're talking about tonight is what's essential to believe. This is essential for us. We could be talking about other end-time events. And one day, Lord willing, we'll do an end times survey, an end times study. We'll talk about those things. But the resurrection of the dead is something to expect. Now, as you mentioned earlier, it's not just for the righteous. It's also for the wicked. Uh, there, there will be a resurrection uh, unto a new body that the wicked will receive. It's a body that, just like the resurrection of the righteous, will not be able to die, will not be able to be killed, will not be able to perish, but it will be thrown into the lake of fire. And won't be able to feel pain for our part in heaven, won't Exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, that, that, that's a terrifying thing to consider, but that's where faith in Jesus Christ comes in. We don't want that. We want to know that our sins are paid for, that we don't have to pay for our own sins in hell. And so that's where belief in Christ comes in. And those who uh, doubt their eternal state can take comfort in Christ's words. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And if he goes and prepares a place for us, he will come again. He will receive us unto himself. Let's put our full faith and confidence in that.